Welcome to Tax Boss. I'm Meryl Bailey in Orlando, Florida. And I'm Crystal Woodbury in Denver, Colorado. We're each licensed as attorneys and also CPAs. We help our clients get the best results because we work well with their trusted advisors. Tax Boss is a podcast for advisors from multiple professions to get together to discuss common client issues and how we can work together to solve them. Crystal, I've been getting a lot of calls since the coronavirus or COVID-19 and the changes in the way that we are working and the shelter in place orders. And I'm getting calls from clients, potential clients, other lawyers, other professionals asking, what can people do if they never got around to writing a will or any other documents and they kept putting it off and now they need them, what can they do? We're getting those same calls, Meryl. So what I'm telling people is, you know, most people never expected to or and never wanted to be a burden in a crisis. And estate planning attorneys help people get their affairs in order because we say, you know, if you spend a little bit of time now, then you don't have to worry about your loved ones scrambling later. But here we are, and now you're scrambling and your loved ones are going to be scrambling. You know, we're in this crisis, and what can you do to get prepared in a hurry? Um, right. But, you know, what I want people to remember is, most people don't have an estate plan. You know, the, the, the statistics are about 60% of people do not have an estate plan. 40% do. So first of all, don't beat yourself up just because you don't have one. Um, you're not a horrible person. That's the first thing. Right. You're, you're in the majority actually. So, yeah, I mean, but you know, it's, I'm, I'm glad that you're thinking about it now and let's see how we can help you. Um, but the, it's always less expensive, of course, or generally less expensive to get things done in advance than it is in a crisis. It's usually easier for your family to handle your affairs if you've done things in advance rather than in a crisis. So if you plan in advance, you'll gain control, you'll increase your options, it'll make it easier for your loved ones to help you, and it's far less expensive overall. So even if you haven't done anything yet, do something now and you'll still be in great shape. Right. Right. And, and how to go around doing that and what are the documents that you should have in place in a crisis versus what are the documents that you then later put in place if you didn't already have them in place to accomplish other goals you might have besides addressing what may need to be addressed during the coronavirus pandemic. Right. So, but specifically with the coronavirus, you know, we've got these shelter in, in place orders and, you know, businesses being closed and people being told to stay home, which I'm all for, believe me, I'm all for it. However, most states are including legal services as essential businesses, meaning that as much as we can work at home, work at home, but law firms are still allowed to be open. And, and, and expected to be available. Right. Right. And it's not just estate planning attorneys, although, you know, pre-death planning, which is preparing the wills and the trusts and the powers of attorney and the after-death management of the, you know, the probate or the trust administration, that's fairly high on the hierarchy of legally essential in a pandemic. Um, But, you know, there's 
divorces that still need to happen and people are still getting arrested and, you know, there's still, the courts still have to handle certain things and attorneys are the pathway to the courts. So we've all just got to work together to get things done. So yes, attorneys are still working. We might be working in different ways, but you should be able to find a really qualified attorney who knows what to do and how to get it done. Right. And, and while as a habit in our practice, we didn't do um, for those people who want to get their estate plan or a portion of their estate plan done during this crisis, we didn't do remote meetings habitually before the last 90 days and, and making different arrangements to get documents executed. Most estate planning attorneys and probably other attorneys as well, but for our purposes, estate planning attorneys have adapted in the last 90 days. And if you want to get your estate plan done, there are ways we can do that without being in each other's physical presence as much as we used to do. Well, you know, our area of law is a very familiar area of law. You know, our our clients tell us things that they might not have ever spoken out loud. You know, they they tell us, I don't like my son, Chip. Or um, I had clients in recently where the oldest child wasn't really the child of the father, but no one really knew. I mean, the parents knew, but the kids didn't know. And, you know, they they it was just you know, like family secrets, we have to know all the family secrets and we have to, and we keep them close. But most people are comfortable telling us that after they have met us in person, they're not so great on the phone or in Zoom unless they already know us. So it has been a very big change to do things remotely. Florida just passed in January, a law that allows remote notarization. And that means, you know, when you get something signed in front of a notary, the notary has to stamp the document and sign that they saw you sign it. Well, the remote notarization laws were not going to go into place for wills and trusts until July. So now there's been, when we when we talk about laws changing daily, there have been all these orders from the Florida Supreme Court and in other states allowing remote notarization of things. The problem we're having in Florida is that you have to have two witnesses for the will to be valid, not the notary. The notary is actually on the self-proving affidavit so that we don't have to produce the witnesses later. Right. But the there's not any provision in Florida law for remote witnesses. So we're still open and we still have clients coming in for signings and for other reasons, but what we've done is we've reorganized our office and we've turned the, what used to be our reception area is now our, our classroom. So when clients come in, we've got the doors open. We, they come in, they don't have to touch anything. We've got new pens. And then after they use them, we just throw them away. I know that's not uh, green, but you know what? It's a BIC. Um, we have gloves for them. We have all the doors in the office open so that it's got this great cross breeze. We stay at six to 10 feet away from them at all times. You know, we're doing everything we can to keep people safe so that they can get their legal needs met and still follow the shelter in place and the safe distancing rule. Yeah. We have it a little easier here in Colorado just this week. So we read, Jill and I read through it 
yesterday, Colorado allows remote notarization. It was an emergency, emergency temporary um, directive from the Secretary of State. So right. we can now do remote notarization um, and probably the same in Florida. There are all these rules you have to follow for it to be effective. We actually have to record it and keep the recording for 10 years. But in Colorado, the only document that requires two witnesses in a notary is the living will. Wills in Colorado have to be either notarized or witnessed ah, by two witnesses. Ah, okay. Well, so you've got the remote notarization, but do you have the remote witness? So we don't, the only document that we would need the remote witnesses for is oh, the living will, okay. Okay. which is the document of permission. So right. we can, we can arrange it with a notary. We have also here in the Highlands Ranch area, there are a couple banks that will provide if clients can get to the bank, we'll do it in our office as well. And we have the room to do it. But if it's more convenient for a client to go to a bank, uh, there are a couple banks that if you call and make an appointment, they will still provide notary services. That's great. Um, we have clients that just this morning we sent to Tampa. The our client lives in Tampa. He's frail, sharp as a tack, but he's frail. And we needed to do some adjustments to his estate plan. So his daughter brought the documents that we prepared over to Tampa, and a lawyer in Tampa is being kind enough to do the notary and the witnesses for us with him over there. So again, it's just, you know, being kind and cooperative is such a help. Yes. We have our first remote notarization um, tomorrow afternoon for a client who wants to sign her trust amendment. Yeah. So. Well, I can't wait to hear how it goes. Now, if they, if you don't have any documents and the, and, and you end up in the hospital, what do you suggest, Crystal? Uh, well, so talk to your doctors about who you want your proxy or your agent decision maker to be if you can't make decisions for yourself so that at least they have a record in their file if they don't have an actual power of attorney document. While we as practitioners may agree or disagree whether or not hospitals should be doing it, um, there are hospitals and doctor's offices that are providing proxy forms for clients to sign while they're there in the hospital? Yeah. So, um, you know, law firms shouldn't give you medical advice and hospitals shouldn't give you legal advice, but most hospitals will provide a healthcare surrogate and a living will document for patients. And if you don't have those documents, the ones the hospital provides are better than nothing generally. Um, the surrogate for the healthcare decisions. So the healthcare surrogate document you're naming someone who will step in your shoes and be you legally to make informed consent medical care decisions to keep you alive because the doctors believe you're going to recover. The living will is the pull the plug document. So you're naming in the living will someone that you want to be allowed to step in your shoes and say in advance, if I get to the situation where I'm on artificial life support, at least two physicians have said there's no hope that I'm ever going to recover. I don't want to be kept alive on artificial life support. So someone pull the plug. That's the living will. So if you get to the hospital and you don't have those documents and the hospital provides them, knock yourself out. They're better than nothing. It's better than nothing. And, and another form that the hospitals provide um, that we attorneys cannot provide 
um, is a, a DNR order or a do not resuscitate order, which uh, different from a living will, that DNR says, if my heart stops beating, I don't want you to start it back up, or I do want you to start it back up. And those typically need to be signed by a doctor. In right. They're a, they're a physician's prescription. They are not a document that a lawyer provides. Right. And that's interesting because, um, you know, the DNR, we it gets talked about a lot. It's it really is a do not resuscitate. It only talks about if my heart stops, don't bring it back up. It doesn't talk about other things that people might want, you know, like they might want to put in that they don't want chemo or they, whatever there's, you know, you can do all sorts of things. That's called a pulse, a physician's order for life sustaining treatment. P O L S as in Sam T as in Tom. The, a post is in some states. It is not in Florida. So Florida, the only thing the doctor can say is, a, you know, a do not resuscitate. I read an article the other day about um, an older woman. She was 65. And she said that she had changed with her lawyer, her living will, to say that she did not want to use a respirator if they were in short supply and she needed a respirator. She wanted it to go to someone who was younger and would get better quicker. Right. I read the article and I'm like, well, that really wouldn't go in the living will. That would go in the healthcare surrogate because the resuscitation machine is to help. I'm sorry, a respirator is to help you get better. Only if it was keeping you alive after there was no hope, would it be considered life support. So the documents, it's fairly clear when you're discussing it, which document is which, but it can get muddy in the application. Yeah. And, and we have had clients and I'm sure you have too, Meryl, that have executed the healthcare proxy and the living will. And then they also prepare themselves a letter of instruction to their healthcare proxy saying, we do it a lot for diabetics specifically addressing addressing insulin administration. Yes. Yes. So people get to decide what level of treatment they want. The healthcare surrogate steps in if you can't communicate. So if you can communicate, we never get to these documents, but the healthcare, the, the more the healthcare, your surrogate under the healthcare document and the surrogate for the living will, the more they know your boundaries the better off everyone will be um, because they're acting on your behalf and you want to be secure that you know what the person who named you wants. So for example, when my mom was dying, she had something called Barrett's esophagus and it's a lot like endometriosis, but it's for your throat. And it got to the point where she really couldn't swallow any food, you know, like there's nothing solid could go down and very little water. So she said she just didn't want a feeding tube. She just didn't want any part of it. And some of my relatives were like, this is ridiculous. Just put her, you know, put her on a feeding tube. And I'm like, she is right here. She has complete capacity. Talk to her directly. She knows what she wants and I'm going to enforce it no matter how hard it was for me to watch my mom starve to death. That's what she wanted. She didn't want to be on a feeding tube. Okay. You know, you just got to know what the rules are. Now, one of the things that's coming up or a lot in the news lately is because of the 
relatively easily transmitted COVID-19 virus, there are all these separations. So what's happening now is if your loved one goes to the hospital, you can't go with them. You can't go visit them. You can't hold their hand and, and comfort them while they're in the hospital. You know, children, parents, you know, like you can't go and stay with them. So you may be someone's healthcare surrogate, but just because you're named doesn't mean the hospital doesn't have the right to say, sorry, you can't come in. Right. Right. And, and hopefully the hospitals will work with you over the phone and provide information and, and you can make those decisions or weigh in remotely. Um, but it, it is a lot different than being there and seeing the person over whose body you're making a decision. Right. It, it's a very different thing. There's also been talk about hospitals putting in place plans for if they do not have enough equipment, if they, you know, this whole thing of how we're trying to um, flatten the curve and keep the hospitals from getting overwhelmed. You know, if the hospital only has 20 ICU beds and it only has five resuscitators and it's got 10 people in those beds who need resuscitation or rest, I'm sorry, respirators, how will, who gets the rest, the respirator? You know, how do they decide who gets the respirator? And, you know, you'd never think that we would have come to such a situation in the United States, but, um, we, I talk a lot in seminars or when I'm speaking to people, I talk about a statute under Florida law and it's in the health care part of the statute. And it says, who has the right to make your funeral arrangements? And it lists first it's spouse. And if you're not married, then it's your adult children. And if you don't have adult children, then it goes to your parents. And then it goes out to siblings. Like it's got this whole list of people. And then it also includes the medical examiner. It includes um, your county commissioner. It includes any... <laughs> I know it go it goes on and it goes on and goes on. Um it any medical professional in any place where you were treated. And then 19th in line is friend. And I talked about it a lot when I would talk to my same sex couples before they could get married because you know again if they were married their spouse could automatically have the right to make their funeral arrangements but if they weren't married we had to do a document to give someone that right to override that statute. And people would say wow, this is crazy. Where did the statute come from? And I'd say, well, you know, in 1918, we had this flu pandemic and people were dying so often and whole families were dying and the bodies were piling up. And we had to, for public health and safety reasons, have a way for someone else to decide what to do with a body. And people were like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine that ever happening again. Well, you know, I hopefully that won't happen to us, but there are statutes that deal with that kind of thing. And that's where they come from. Yeah. And we do in Colorado, we have something similar. Um, so we now have as part of an estate planning package is a statutory document that's um, needs a better name, but it's called the Colorado Statutory Disposition of Last Remains form. And that is where you write or put in whether you want to be cremated, embalmed, 
planet as a tree, whatever it might be, and list the persons who get to make those decisions. Right. And you can add on to it, like what you want your funeral service to be. It can be as detailed as you want it to be, but it's a, a form now we include in our package of documents because you don't want to default to what the state says. Right. You don't really want the city commissioner in charge. Right. Um, but hospitals cannot provide or should not, and I've never heard of them actually providing a general durable power of attorney, a last will and testament, a revocable living trust. You know, it might be tempting to take matters in your own hands if you're in a crisis and draft your own documents, you mm-hmm. know, do them online, do them yourself. Please reconsider, please. Reputable, good, caring attorneys are out there right now and we can help you. And we can help you remotely and we can turn documents around in a, in a fairly quick time right. to meet needs. And and if it's an immediate need, know that we're going to follow up. Well, and it sounds like a cliche, but it usually costs more to clean up a mess from a home prepared or self-prepared estate plan than it does to pay the lawyer to do it right from the start. How how many times have you said that over your career? Oh my gosh. Well, it sounds like a cliche because it's true, right? Yes. Yeah. So know that we're out here. Estate planning attorneys are out here to help if you don't have anything in place right now, or if documents need to be reviewed to make sure what you think you have in place is, is actually what's there. Um, and know that you're not alone. There are a lot of folks out there who have been thinking about planning and about what they need to do. Um, and this crisis has put that on the front burner. Yeah. Yeah. But we're all in this together, everybody. We'll, we'll work through it together. Remember, great advisors work with each other. Contact us at taxbosses.com with any questions, ideas, or if you'd like to be on the show. 